0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shakespeare series brought to you by My Entertainment World. Um, this episode, we are talking about Henry V with Eli Ham. Um, Eli is one of my favorite actors in the world. Um, specifically, I love him in Shakespeare plays. I love specifically talking to him about Shakespeare plays. Uh, he has really a great love of Shakespeare and lots of big opinions about Shakespeare and can really get into it. And that's what I love um, in terms of just conversation. I love people who are going to like want to get into the weeds about it and kind like, of- quote you random passages. And it's kind of like hardcore nerds. I love it so much. Um, So Eli is great. Eli, I I always say is the greatest Macbeth I ever saw. Um, He was with a little company called Humber river Shakespeare. And they were, they do this tour um, every summer and they were, he was in Macbeth with them. um, And I happened to catch it at Casa Loma, which was just such an Epic experience. He was just remarkable. Um, That was back in uh, 2012, I believe. Um, and so ever since I've seen him in lots of things, he's done a few of the Corona cold reads for us. Um, he played Edgar, he played Leontes. So, um, it's been really cool sort of having nearly a decade now of just talking about Shakespeare with Eli Ham. I've interviewed him three or four times. He's just a fascinating guy with lots of great, interesting opinions and a really incredible wealth of Shakespeare knowledge and a passion for the subject. Um, he picked Henry the fifth, uh, because it's his favorite play. And uh, that tends to be how I like to assign these things is I just ask people, I pick who I want to talk to, and then I let them pick what they want to talk about, for the most part, um, because uh, I love talking to people about their favorite things, um, which is, you know, why we have a whole podcast series about that called The Favorite Series, um, just because it's it's so rewarding, I think, to talk to someone who loves something really, truly, that um, enthusiasm is really infectious. And through this Shakespeare series, I've found, um, I've had people talk me into liking plays that I didn't think I liked, um, because they love them so much uh so Henry V is one that I'm a little bit you know so so on I like it it's I'm not super passionate about it but listening to Eli talk about it is uh really quite interesting and he can really sell you on it um it's an interesting play. It's a sort of straight, fairly straightforward wartime play about "quote unquote" England's greatest king. Um, it's definitely enriched by knowledge of Henry uh, for Part One and Two, um, because Henry IV is one of those plays where the title character is not really the main character. The main character is actually young Prince Hal, who is Henry the Fourth's son, who in the future will become Henry V. So. Uh, Henry the Fourth parts one and two are sort of really important prologue uh to what happens in Henry V, um, especially a particularly heartbreaking sequence involving his old friend Bardolph, So, um, which to me is the best part of Henry V. Obviously, it's also the it's also the play that has the St. Crispin's Day speech, which is probably what it's most famous for. Um, and then there's a, my, one of the other things I really enjoy about it is it has this, uh, I like uh, Princess Catherine quite a bit. All her dialogue is in French and she has this really funny scene where she's trying to learn English and learning the, the names for the, uh, or the words for the, the parts of the hand. Um, it's just, it's just really delightful. It's kind of like fun, uh, little comic relief in the middle of this. Uh, quite dark, weird, morally compromised war play. Um, yeah, so that's Henry V. Um, there's some great film versions of it if you want to check those out. Um, it's not produced as often as you'd think it might be, considering how relatively straightforward the storytelling is. Um But there are some very good film versions. Uh, Kenneth Branagh has one. Uh, There's a uh, Tom Hiddleston plays this role in the uh, Hollow Crown series. So when you get to the Henry V stuff, you get some really rewarding Hiddleston content. And um, yeah, but it's not you know it's a good one to have seen before before you listen to the conversation about it because it can be a little complicated. It's got a lot of characters, um, but it's got a really relatively straightforward plot. So. that's about all I need to tell you, I think, about Eli and Henry V. Um, I, I was frankly a little surprised um, that Henry V was his favorite play. Um, he's very sort of like peaceful. He identifies as a hippie. So I, I found it very interesting that he picked a uh, a soldier play. Um, but he ex- explains himself. So um, I hope you enjoy this episode and um, our very interesting conversation. I love talking about Shakespeare with Eli. Um, so yeah, make sure you check out what's happening on the website, my um, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, my myentworld my ENT world for all the latest. Um, we have content that's specifically designed for those platforms, but then we also have, um, just, updates on what's happening with the website on our YouTube channel, on our podcast feed, all that kind of stuff. Definitely search My Entertainment World on um, iTunes because now is the best time to subscribe. We have so much happening on the uh, podcast feed right now. We have some um, nominee interview series stuff still happening. We have the Shakespeare series as always, the favorite series as always, the My Entertainment World standalone episodes as always. But then we also have Um, because right now at the time of recording this, we're in the middle of not at the time of recording with Eli, but the time of recording this intro. Um, We are in social isolation due to COVID-19. So we had a response to that, which was to create a whole bunch of content. Um, So we created two new audio series, um, the Corona Cold Read series, which is a bi-weekly Shakespeare cold read um, where I assemble some of them have been sort of like amazing all-star casts featuring the greatest um, actors I know. Um, one of which was including King Lear uh, with uh, Eli as Edgar Um and then some of them are just like my friends got together to read, you know, one of the fun comedies. <laughs> so it's sort of a mixture of uh, fairly informal, but a uh, really fun, cool to with some really talented people. Um, and then we also have Corona movie club happening right now, which is just like three times a week. It's almost sort of like a book club, but it's for movies. Um, so that's been really rewarding content to have. And so there's like a lot of stuff happening on our podcast feed right now. So make sure to subscribe, rate and review if you want to, but we're not so fussed about that. Just make sure you subscribe because we want you to get, To enjoy all the content. We have some new Shakespeare series episodes coming soon as well. So um, enjoy that and stay safe, everybody. See you on the other side. So I always start these things with the Wikipedia synopsis because they're um, really, really simple. And this one's the most simple I've ever encountered, because it basically is like, there is a backstory, you're supposed to have read the other ones, audiences knew how to be this wild, undisciplined young man. And then all it says about Henry V is that the young prince has matured, he embarks on an expedition to France, and his army, badly outnumbered, defeats the French at Agincourt. That's
1: it, right? That's the
0: whole plot of the whole play.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, from from an from an action standpoint, from a standpoint of um, things that uh, I suppose happen outwardly, that's relatively accurate.
0: Right, right. I it's mean, relatively accurate. There's like battles along the way. There's plot points, but in terms of like the larger arc, that's what's going on in this play.
1: I, I suppose from the outside, that that is certainly. Um, I think the main driving force of the play. I don't think anyone would, would 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 be able to argue otherwise. I think that the inner workings of the play and the um, themes that it kind of explores are are much larger. And I, you know, full full disclosure, I, this is one of my one of my favorites. So um, I uh, I have a very huge. Bias around the the piece itself, um, and partly because of the Brana that Brana movie, right? It came out at a time in my life when uh, I was really getting into Shakespeare, and um, it was you know it was different than the some of the BBC Shakespeare's of my youth, much more epic, um, and it also came along in a time where um, unabashed masculinity was far more. Um, I don't want to say accepted, but far more uh, normalized and far more, and so you know, watching that, rewatching that, that, and, and re-investigating this play from a modern, from a more modern standpoint, or from a um, a place where uh, we understand more about about that and how that has affected the whole of society, is an interesting thing because I do think that this play really does. Um, I don't know. I, I think that I do think that Shakespeare. Uh, you know, again, he's one of my favorite writers, so I'm I'm ranting here. But I, I mean,
0: I, it's a Shakespeare series podcast. Yeah.
1: Go for it. Wear so it out on me. I do think I do think that there 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 he may have been he may have turned up some of the volume on it in this show. And if you were looking for it, I think he he not necessarily pokes fun, but definitely holds up that that. Uh, like you see, the you see the you know the the infighting and the and the talk of cowardice among among not just the the French but you see it amongst the you know the English soldiers as well. Certainly the 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 Bardolphs and the pistols and and and, and those folks. Uh, so you know it's it's interesting that walking that that fine line, and then Henry himself, who who yeah, is a much transformed person, and he is forced to be the leader that his country needs at the time and sometimes that blurs the line between decency and and leadership and what is what is that can you can you you know i certainly at the time like that's an interesting thing i think that i would be interested in exploring as we chat about it that um you know some of the choices i mean i don't think you can fault him for the the scroop thing putting scroop to death he was plotting against him he was going to bring down the entire you know the entire country arguably and hand it over to a foreign power so i, I you know that's something that i think is is a little bit forgivable in terms of his his hard edge which he has in this play that he doesn't necessarily have in the same way
0: so, going back a little bit, um, uh, no, no worries. we can jump around, but I usually just as like a baseline we'll always ask, like to ask my guests first of all what 's your own history with Shakespeare, mm. and then this play, how did you first get introduced to it, and you talked a little bit about the, the brana um, but have you ever done it? Like, what, what's your relationship th- to this play?
1: Mm. Um, so, you yeah, know, my relationship with Shakespeare, I, we've talked about this before, I think, in, in other interviews, but I... I um...
0: Please go reference the in- <laughs> non-interview the series. There are three with Eli. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, and one of them I talk about, uh, you know, performing... Uh, busking Shakespeare and performing you know little seven or eight minute versions for the patrons entering the Stratford Festival when I was you know eight, nine, and ten years old, and so that was that's sort of my introduction to performing Shakespeare. Um, I was fortunate enough to have um, you know parents who were okay with the you know, a, a, you know a farmer a dad my dad 's a farmer and my mom is a, my mom 's a hippie for sure, um, you know, like a you know woodstock hippie and and has a degree in in art history so you know she there was a there was this beautiful um like velvet covered Mm. uh complete works of William Shakespeare that even before I could read or understand it I just loved the feeling of the book and so I I was um you know, even from and both of my parents. When I would ask, "Who is this?" they would say, "Oh, it's one of the greatest writers in the English language." And so, forever, that book was this thing that I would see on the shelf that I would take down and I would feel and and even before I, I got into it. So that sort of was my introduction. And and growing up, you know, near the Stratford Festival, I was fortunate enough back in the eighties. You know, you could get tickets for five dollars
0: <laughs>
1: um, and go see shows. Um, and that doesn't happen anymore. I mean, even 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 into the early '90s, you could get tickets for twenty dollars. And um, so that was my introduction. And this play in particular, yeah the the Brenna, the brana movie was uh, it's so epic. Like he's very good at uh, you, I, you know he he picks whoever he picked to score the film. I thought was fantastic. Um, obviously, his casting of it is kind of second to none. You know, yeah. Unfortunately, this this is a piece that doesn't have. Uh, a lot for for women in it Mm. but Mm. even that 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 i i can i could still do almost that whole scene
0: the last one yeah
1: Yeah. (laughs) or you know the scene between the nurse and 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 catherine they were so good it was so memorable every part of that movie to me um so that's how i how i came to the piece and i um a number of times over the last seven or eight years, I helped run a, um, a Shakespeare intensive for the Stratford Festival's education department. And I have never done Henry V, despite it being my favorite Ever. play, because, because of kind of what you said and the Wikipedia thing at the beginning. It, it, it seems simplistic, and it's also something that is, to young people, not as well known. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to do Romeo and Juliet, they want to do the Scottish play, they want to do hamlet that you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and and this year i finally had um i don't know if it's the courage but i finally was just stubborn enough to say you know what Forget it. We're doing yeah. Henry V. So this summer, I got to direct a, um, a group of 15 and 16 year old kids in an adaptation that I had done of of Henry V.
0: But I imagine kids would kind of love Henry V, right? Like it's like war and rousing speeches, and you know, it, it, even without getting into sort of like the deeper character stuff and the like moral quandaries in the play, just like on that surface level, it's like an action movie.
1: Yeah. Well, it was. That's how I was able to to sell it to them. I, I was fortunate enough also to have a couple of young young people who loved the play i there was a, a one young woman in particular when i said that we would you know these are the two plays we're considering she just lost her mind that's my favorite play <laughs> on, 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 on and i and you know i we talked about it she had all sorts of really interesting reasons for for why she liked it and what she appreciated about it so you know it was an interesting um and they were so uh game these kids to investigate the play in ways that um i i maybe hadn't Hadn't thought of, or I, you know, like it's so—it's such a wonderful thing to to feel that vibrancy of youth and to have things come back at you that you go, oh,
0: oh. So, what were the some of the discoveries that you made through the kids? That's so crazy. <sighs>
1: You know, I think I think part of the part of what I even, you know, going back to reading some of these like heavy academic things that I have sitting in front of me for those of you listening at home, I have Harold Bloom and Northrop Frye in front of me so that I can hopefully sound intelligent at some point.
0: Oh my god, he brought he brought a whole library. <laughs>
1: um, and, and just the how how um, how he is how he um, puts forward th- these things, um, how he makes these decisions in service of England and in service of his people and in service of his army, and and I, I I think that quite often when you see it, it becomes that action movie. And when he puts when he sends Bardolph right, he sends Bardolf to the gallows. Yeah. Um, you know, most people just go, well, he had to, and these kids were like. I thought they were, I thought you told me they were friends. Mm -hmm. That must've been really difficult for him. And we investigated that. And the, the the young, the, the other thing I should say is that one of the concepts for the show, because there were so many kids was we went through the play. These kids were willing to go through the play with me and we separated all of Henry's lines into logos, pathos and ethos. Oh wow. And so we had three actors playing Henry in all the scenes so Logos and Pathos were both half-masked and they spoke from a from a place of half-mask and, and the ethos character was unmasked and um, but they moved as a unit for the most part. The ethos and or Logos and Pathos were allowed to lash out when they felt <laughs> they needed to do that. Um, uh, but so yeah, with the three actors who were part of that scene, the three young young actors who were part of that scene, um, you know, she, the 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 young woman playing the the ethos of Henry in that scene had some like she, she found it really really difficult and it was such a touching moment actually that she was able to craft in the in the scene that it made me start to question all of these decisions that he makes and and and, and go and go back to that that scene in four one where he's in the camp talking to mm-hmm. talking to the soldiers and really investigate that as, because I think a lot of people look at, to your point, the battle scenes. They look at Harfleur. They look at Agincourt. They look at the two sort of like big epic battles as mm-hmm. the spine of the play. And if you, if you look deeper and if you dig deeper like these kids did and you look at that scene as the spine of the play, it completely changes your, your view on what he's doing and who he is and, ha- and what he's trying to accomplish mm-hmm. on some level.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and speaking of Bardolph, this play is the fourth in a series of, like, a long series of plays. It's the third with this particular character. How important do you feel, like, can you really pull Henry V totally out of its chronology? And for that matter, audiences, like, Henry VI was written and performed before this. So Mm -hmm. audiences knew how it all turned out before they even started this play. How important is the larger context of the storytelling for Henry V?
1: That's a really good question I mean I think it's as important as you want to make it i i, I don't i mean I believe that you have... with with those with with that that those characters i think it's a like that was another thing that we investigated actually quite heavily because we taught they they wanted to know about the other characters and so we we sort of did a little back back backstory and back check uh, on who they were um and we really investigated like the three actors who played those. Three parts, which is interesting. Interesting. They, they, I did not do this on purpose, but they all pointed out to me that um, we had, we had, we had three, three students in the class this year from the U.S. And I didn't realize that I had cast all three of the U.S. kids as uh-huh. Bardolph, and Pistol,
0: <laughs> and they thought
1: that was, uh, they thought that was on purpose. But it, it, <laughs> it wasn't. If you're listening to this, they're not. Um, I, so I think that you know one of the things we investigated was their backstory too. Because when you look at where they are in Henry IV, Part One and two, um, where they are maybe in The Merry Wives of Windsor, mm-hmm. and where they are in this play, it's really sad. It's really sad mm-hmm. to look at Bardolph and Nim and Pistol. And, and And rather than to think of them as just comic relief or just the buffoons of the play, to think of them as... People who have fallen from grace, people who had a life that was taken away from them in some way, shape or form for, you know, innumerable reasons, either if you want to look at it historically um, or if you want to look at it socially. You know, these are people who um, had, you know, at least interesting lives, maybe not great lives, but they had interesting lives. You know, they had they had a they had a patron at some point. They had they, they had revenue. They had, you know, agency. And in this play, they don't. You know, so, I mean, p- sure, Pistol runs an inn, but like the way that, the, like the the way that um, the young woman who played Bardolf it, it dug into him. She said, "Well, I mean, I, you know, I think that he, I think it makes total sense that he he's probably become a raging alcoholic, and he actually can't even really engage with his friends from a place of honesty because he's so clouded by um, all of these things, and 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 all, you know, all th- all three of them." trying to navigate where they are now and, and what's going on I think it's it's really it was really sad it was i i i had I don't think I'd ever been this was another thing I don't think I'd ever been heartbroken by that scene before and when they the bardolph scene not the Bardolph scene actually the scene where they they we, where we see them earlier when pistol and then oh, show up outside right, the of comi- the, the ostensibly comic relief scene it's a yeah. the comic relief scene, but the way that these kids invested in it, I was like. This is heartbreaking. This is three friends who used to be thickest as, thick as thieves, pardon the the the, the, the term, because they are. And now they they can't barely like they're speaking gibberish to each other in some regards. But I think, you know, the way the kids invested in it was that they're doing that because they can't be honest. Because they can't mm-hmm. they can't find the words anymore. They can't actually connect to each other on a human level. And it was I, I was I was touched and heartbroken by the way that they 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 took this to a place that I don't think many professional companies do because they they want they you know they want to give the audience what they want and, and you know to be fair we didn't have the same stakes as a regular theater company so I'm not this isn't me casting shade on anyone who's done that play in the past but isn't it interesting that that these kids it, you know invested invested something oh, t- entirely different in, in that scene and, and brought something out in the play that I don't think it, well that I think is present obviously like I think it was truthful to the text what they did Um but it wasn't easy it wasn't the easy way out they mm-hmm. they they chose to they chose to to um they chose to look at the hard truths they chose chose to look at um the struggles rather than just you know the hiccups and the burps and the mm-hmm. like there were still moments where people laughed at them um but we talked a le- little bit about clown and i said you know you can you can use that laughter to fuel more laughter or you can use that laughter to lead to a sigh or to lead to a Um, a place where the audience goes "Oh, oh you know
0: yeah well, there's something about theater students specifically who, like, you give them a part and they want to make, they're going to look at that part as if it's the lead character and give it that sort of respect of find out that whole emotional journey of, you know, as a girl who played servant number two many a time, you know, yeah. <laughs> that, that was sort of the thing. And so it's almost like they can, they're can they able to mind something more than um, actors who are sort of really seeing it as a job and they're coming in, they're doing the job and leaving. Totally. Yeah. Um, Okay, so let's dive into sort of the complications of the central character, who is actually the central character. Um, I went to a lecture once that the, the person talking about Henry V presented this concept um, of the the character of Henry V as a metaphor seen through the um, you know the optical illusion where it 's both a duck and a rabbit, and if you look at it one way, you see a rabbit head. If you look at it another way, you see a duck mm-hmm. but you it 's impossible to look at it and see both at the same time. Mm-hmm. So what they were trying to say is this this concept of like heroism and villainy within Henry V is like this. You can definitely read it as he's a tyrant, and you can take everything he says at Harfleur at face value, or you can read it really generously and then really lean into like the beauty of St. Crispin's Day and really see a hero. But it's really difficult, and I think the the pleasure of the play is grappling with finding a way to see both the rabbit and the and the duck at the same time.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I, I, I couldn't have said it better. I, I think that that's... Uh, um, I, I, I think that 's what makes the play great. I think that 's one of the things that makes the play great and I know that you know, one of our first introductions was the Scottish play, and I feel the same way about that, that man right like I think when people look at him as a villain, you miss yes. a lot of the play and if you if you do if you do just look for a duck or a, or, a, or a rabbit in Henry V then that 's what you 'll find and if you, if you try to look at both if you try to cross your eyes you try to try to do it. I think the play becomes intimately more interesting mm-hmm. because it becomes about a person who is struggling with how do I lead strongly while maintaining my morality mm-hmm. or well while maintaining my decency or or, or 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 whatever and I and I think that um you know what a what a great lecture I, I think that's a great way to to view the play um, as. As a, as a as a personal struggle and not just two nations at war.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, how successful do you think he is in terms of in, in the idea of leading and winning a war while maintaining his um, soul, basically? Well,
1: yeah, I mean, I think that's probably subjective. I, I, I he's obviously very successful at the at the, the uh, prior there mm-hmm. at the, the first point that you make. You know, he, he wins a battle against you know, either historically or or dramatically against incredible odds. And, you know, in terms of the way that you know, Will has structured the play, right before that incredible victory we have this we have the St. Crispin's Day speech, which is you know, to your point, nothing like the Harfleur speech. Oh God! Yeah. Right, it's nothing like. You know, we're going to spit your babies on poles and kill all of you know. Like, oh that's, yeah,
0: we're going to get into Harfleur in a second. Sure. I have feelings. <laughs> so you know,
1: like that's. Um, and, and so I think it's it, it's well placed in terms of trying to. Um, and, you know, to your to your point about Harfleur, it, it, it's the second speech. It's the second time we hear him do that, mm-hmm. and so one would if you are trying to look for the i don't know what, what are we going to say what's the if if the if the rabbit which which, 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 which one's which which okay. one's which
0: um let's have the the rat the rabbit be the trixie like the bad one and okay.
1: the <laughs> so the rabbit is the villain and yeah. the duck is the is the hero um one one would say that 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 the harfleur speech is coming from the rabbit and that maybe the the agincourt speech is coming from the duck that rather than seeing them as two separate things if they're points on a continuum then maybe he's learned maybe he's learned something Mm. in 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 terms of the way that he because again this maybe comes from my own personal bias but i i i don't actually think that that that's that that's what Henry intends to do when they take Harfleur. I don't...
0: Okay, this is my question, right? Is how genuine is it? Is it a poker face situation or is, is that, like, real? Is he just faking him out? Because how do you come back from that if he's not?
1: Yeah, well, I don't think you can. And, that, and, that's, and, that's, why, and that's why I would say that it is a tactic.
0: Right. So I you would... think he's lying?
1: Well, I think that he's, he's um, certainly, you know, using hyperbole to, to make a point. Um, the issue becomes, then, what is his responsibility to that point? Because, you know what I mean? Like, when, when he's when he's among the soldiers and he's talking with them before the St. Crispin's Day speech, I think that's where he finds, you know, the, the other way to inspire people. I don't think that he knows any other way. I mean, if we look at him in Henry IV Part 1 and 2, it's all about jokes. It's all about... Um, you know that that push and pull of how do I use my position to um, get somebody to do what I want, or to intimidate them to make them feel smaller, or to um, how do I do that? And and I think that and that's what and that's also what he learns from the, from the elder statesman in Falstaff. That's that's the game that they all play is putting each other down and 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 using using these these terms to to um, either scare people or to embarrass people and um, and so I think I, I wouldn't I'm, I'm certainly not ready to let him off the hook for a floor, but I don't think in his heart of hearts that that Henry is the king who who spits babies on pikes uh, I, I I just you know there are so many other moments that we see from him in Henry v in Hal one and two where we see him being reflective we see him wrestling with morality mm-hmm. and so I think he makes I think he makes a huge tactical error there on some level. Um, well, yes, how could it be an error? Because yeah, I mean, it, it works. Worked, it, it, worked, it worked out. The issue is that I think as a, uh, when we look at it from a modern context, and I'm sorry to even invoke, but I won't say the name, when we look at other, shall we say, populist leaders
0: mm-hmm. around the world
1: or people who are using rhetoric that is really extreme, there, I think you're responsible for what that does to people and what mindset that puts people in. And, you know, we don't know because it never talks about it in the play. But if after they took our floor any of that stuff that he says in that speech if that happened to one person he's responsible for that
0: that's such i hadn't thought of that the idea of like cuz there is the, the person you are referencing without referencing there is sort of debate about like does he really mean it or is he just saying it to rile people up and using it as a political tactic and if you were to take it from that point of view he's still responsible for the results that comes from the people he has now riled up i think yeah so even if he completely even if henry completely doesn't mean it he's still um, enforcing that idea in his soldier's head of like this is appropriate behavior of the conquerors if you will this is what it takes to win yeah well and there's something too about um, I read something yesterday in my very extensive prep it was not extensive I read (laughs) one interview and watched the new Timothy Chalamet movie it was not helpful oh no Um, but the uh, in in this interview which was with Adrian Lester uh, who played the role uh, at the National in 2003, and it was okay. very like Iraq War, very modern. Um, he was talking about the um, the fact that in in the earlier plays, how uh, specifically talks about um, being the the sun, hidden, uh, allowing the clouds to hide him from the world, um, and this idea of like lowering expectations and pretending to be. Um, his sort of east sheep self so that he's managing expectations and people can't see him clearly. And then I think that folds in interestingly to this idea of like the masks he puts on. So, right, it's almost like to go with our our uh, optical illusion metaphor. It's almost like in Harfleur, he's wearing a rabbit mask. And when he does St. Crispin's Day, he's wearing a duck mask. And there's a human somewhere underneath all of these big speeches this guy makes. Mm-hmm. But it's really hard to see I mean, are there any points in the play when you would say we can actually see him clearly for who he actually is or is every word he exchanges with another person some kind of performance of who he wants that person to think he is tactically?
1: That's a really good question. I I think my answer may be unsatisfactory, but I, I think, that, you know, from a meta standpoint, he is a character in a play. And right, so, yeah. you know, he is, um, you know, I think Shakespeare... For better or for worse, and and you know he may have been um, an old white dude. I don't know whether he was entirely straight or not, but he he did understand rhetoric, and he did understand how to craft that. And so I think that that's. Um, but to, to answer your question, maybe more straightforwardly, I think that maybe there are moments in the um, in the scene with the with the soldiers
0: mm, the disguise scene the
1: disguise scene where That's he's actually Shakespeare, right? disguising mm-hmm. himself and then can speak his real truth yeah um, but even yeah i don't i think that um I think that the most truth, truthful thing, most truthful thing that you hear him, that I hear him utter in any of his trajectory among any among the entire canon, is probably Henry IV, Part Two, and he when he berates the crown, and then his dad wakes up and he has that, you know, um, the pardon me, my leash, but for my tears. Like, it, but in terms of Henry, the play we're, we're discussing, I, I I don't know. I think that might be the the time where he is most honest when he doesn't have to. Put forth an outward um, face of being the ruler and being in charge and being this when he can, you know, be his, you, you use the word East chap, um East, East cheap, cheap Self. Yeah. Um, because this leads me to another, the other, another place where we see an, an even other version of him when he is, you quote unquote, wooing Catherine at mm. the end of mm-hmm. the play. Like what do we, after hearing Harfleur and hearing that and then hearing the mean f- you know, whether or not this is just you know Shakespeare trying to trying to ingratiate himself to 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 the monarchy or to the royalty by by creating this beautiful ending image of, of love um, but yeah what do we think about that what do we think about the things that he says to her there because in 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 that scene I don't know whether this would have been historically accurate but in 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 that scene in the play there aren't other men around for him to impress. There aren't. There isn't that that maleness that is that this play is so rooted in, um, that uh, that that are holding him to this kind of machismo account that he seems to play the part of very well.
0: Right. So, do you feel like he is maybe more himself because in that scene, because he's free of that sort of gender pressure that comes from having other men?
1: I, I you know, like the, the 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 absolute like idealist in me wants to <laughs> wants to believe that. I don't know if it's true.
0: Well, see, because the the cynic in me see, re- sees that scene, and honestly, I think you could. Somebody should do this, by the way. This is a great idea. Break down that scene in the context of something like the game, right? Like the, which is I think that's the name of the that book that was like the pickup artist oh, kind of stuff. God. Like the the I tactics yeah. he uses in that scene. Like nobody's that smooth. Like nobody. Like the amount the 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 way he maneuvers and flirts and like pretends with the like the way he manipulates language and how much he knows, how much he doesn't know, and like how much he. Like, offers her and then pulls back, and it just, it's it's so calculated to me, just because there's sort of two ways to read it, either he is, like, the smoothest freaking guy in the world, mm-hmm. which, there's a way to read this play where he's just the best king, the best soldier, the best flirt, the best everything, right? Like, and so that's an idea, but it also does feel to me almost like this is he is now turning on this mode that he's good at Mm -hmm. and doing you know probably a strategic uh touch of the arm to introduce physical contact at this particular moment like it's every everything feels very constructed and like smooth
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i agree i don't think that can be disputed at all i think that's a that's that's a a perfectly um you know legitimate (laughs) lens to see it through i'm i'm not as familiar with this with this I've never actually read this book, but Um, it's just like
0: what it's like the it introduced the concept of negging to the culture. You know what negging is? No,
1: (laughs) I'm really out of it. I'm not such
0: a good person. Um, No, (laughs) negging is a thing that like horrible men do in bars um, to pick up women, where they basically like insult them. They're like, "Oh, that shirt makes you look." Better than I th- You know like they'll say something And it's a It's a whole psychological that's It's a, really real? dark That's
1: real that's it's, a, that's Oh a, it's
0: a thing It's really dark But it's It's all these like Psychological tactics um, In order to sort of Essentially uh, Trick
1: women Into feeling a certain way And someone put that in a book As a positive
0: Yeah okay. Well it's like a It's, I, it's the wow. pickup artist He uses tactics And then like young men Buy his book As a way to You know it's all it's all tied in together yeah. with the disasters of the world. But I'm I'm glad to introduce this concept to you. I'm sorry your life's a little bit worse now.
1: Um. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the other the only other thing that I would say about that scene is that um, if if we're just looking at the play itself in isolation, you know, that might be the culmination of potentially what he's learned on how to inspire or get at people. And so you can mm-hmm. take that one way or the other. You can yeah. take that, that he is playing her or that he has finally understood how to connect with someone.
0: Well, and there's two sides of that, right? Cause like leadership is connecting to someone
1: you would hope,
0: right? So it's the same thing. It's just how you choose to use that connection that you've forged. Yep. Right. In good faith or bad. Yep. Essentially.
1: And, and I, I mean, I think the thing that we don't have from that is that we don't. The play never explores what happens after that, so we don't actually know mm-hmm. whether all of the things he says he he, he makes good on, or, or whether he's a good husband, or whether he's a good. Um, you know, I mean, historically, he died of dysentery not too long after the Battle of Agincourt, I believe. So. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, and then we and then we get Henry the Sixth. So and and as I I'm not super familiar with Henry the Sixth. It's going to be the weirdest episode of this of this podcast because I it's one of only two. Um, if we're counting Henry the as one play, uh, it's one of only two that I've never seen. Um, but I'm fairly certain Henry VI loses everything his father gained,
1: yes, right? Yes, that's, yeah.
0: Okay, so assuming, as most audiences at the time certainly would be very well versed in that, even if they don't know their own history, certainly the Henry VI plays have come out already. Um, we know, So assuming we all know that when we're watching this ending, and depending on how you choose to view how dark you want to choose to see that flirting scene like how's Catherine is she being sold to this guy or is she like genuinely cool with it how happy is this ending? Like, I feel like it, it certainly presents as tying it all up in a bow. We have a victory. We have a love story onward towards happiness. Mm-hmm. But is there a dark cloud hanging over all of this?
1: I think, I think from a modern standpoint, you, it, it, I, yeah, absolutely. I think in the 1500s and 1600s, that was definitely a happy ending.
0: Okay, explicitly. Like, it was written to be...
1: I, I think so. I think that's what he meant. Yeah. And I think that, that, that he couldn't have done it any differently. Um, given the, the the power structure and and who he was being,
0: well, that's the funded by. problem too, right? This whole play—it's hard to criticize the um, relatives of your monarch,
1: right? Um, but I think from a from a modern standpoint, th- th- because you know you use the term "sold," that's exactly what's being what's happening. Mm-hmm. This is a, this is a transactional marriage. No matter what he says in that last scene,
0: yeah. Even if yeah, even if she gets on board the train was leaving didn't matter if she got on board right
1: right yeah. yeah and you know like in a in a in a in a modern version of that of a modern retelling of that play you could i could definitely see somebody writing that scene that way you know with him actually saying something like you just said like mm-hmm. look the train's leaving or not you want to get on or do you want me to drag you behind it right like it's like that's awful but on some level that is unfortunately the position that Catherine is in the Mm -hmm. our only you know other than the other than the nurse our only female character in this play is is put in that place so um yeah i think when you when you when you downstream though some of the other things that 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 shakespeare writes in there and if you're and maybe this is just a modern modern mind but if you're if you're sort of looking for it I, he i think he pokes he pokes a little bit of fun at at at, at machismo and he pokes a little bit of fun at, at at that that version of being a man um that i i appreciate certainly um mm-hmm. because uh yeah you know he talks about the the, the stuff with the dauphin is mm. just like <laughs> you know that's such a uh, you know he's so overconfident and the way that that other people talk about him and the way that he's received um is such a like he is even sort of joked about among the french lords um but the whole you know the whole play is is built upon um you know people being you know sort of either one upping themselves or or taking something um to that, to that, to the most nth maleness degree, the very, the very, the very war begins because of a case of tennis balls. Arguably, right in the play, right. you know, somebody sends something as a, as kind of a joke, but an insulting joke, and all of a sudden, here we are. We're on a, we're on conquest for because you know there, there, there are, there are, there, there is potentially an argument to be made that if the Dauphin doesn't send those tennis balls, maybe Henry's. Maybe Henry's masculinity isn't challenged enough to go to war, and maybe Scroops um, and Masham and all of those maybe they succeed, and that and that's a very different. Mm-hmm. You know that would be a very different um, thing that happened in history. So um, I, that's actually, you know, part of me. That's actually something I, I haven't investigated. I don't know if, if there's any truth to there being some sort of like, like an historically yeah. it's some sort of like weird social insult that was sent to him, mm. uh, which would be. I, 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 sh- I should I should look I should look into that. Yeah.
0: Um, so speaking of the the tomes you've brought with you, um, when you came in today, so you mentioned that in sort of doing a little bit of prep for this episode, you discovered that this uh, a lot of scholars do not like this play. Mm-hmm. You talk a little bit about its place in the canon and how it's talked about in relation to the other plays
1: um sure i'll try um yeah i so i the one of the books i got that from was um this harold bloom book which is called shakespeare and the invention of the human and he he has a chapter on each of the on each of the plays in the canon and one of the first things that you read when you turn to the henry v um, page is he he quotes he quotes this yates um He has this quote from W.B. Yeats uh, from his book, Ideas of Good and Evil, where he says, Henry V has the gross vices, the coarse nerves of one who is to rule among violent people. And he is so little too friendly to his friends that he bundles them out the door when when their time is over. He is as remorseless and undistinguished as some natural force. And the finest thing in his play is the way his old companions fall out of it, brokenhearted or on their way to the gallows. And, you know, so that was, you know, much smarter than I could have worded it myself. But to me, that essentially says that, you know, Yeats's take on it is the only good scenes are the scenes with the old buddies from the from the from the previous plays. Hmm. And that, um, uh, you know, Harold himself starts the starts the play with this brilliant and subtle work will always be popular. I could say for all the wrong reasons. That's hmm. his very the very first thing he says about it.
0: Well, in all fairness, that's probably because it's it's most famous. If it's famous at all, it's famous for Saint Crispin's Day, right? Right, which is yeah. you know, basic heroism, pretty simple read of the play. It doesn't get at what's good about it.
1: Yeah, and I also think it discounts the fact that if you're gonna if you're gonna take that as if, you know, like we talked about earlier, um, you, if you're gonna take Harfleur and, and and Agincourt as the spine of the play, mm-hmm. it creates a different spine of the play than if you take. Act four, scene one, is the spine of the play, right. and Which so is the scene
0: where he's in disguise with the soldiers, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, I, at least I think it is. I hope that I'm. It's in Act four somewhere, <laughs> um, and so I, 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 yeah, I think that you know, and he, he goes on. I mean, Harold is a is a much more brilliant man than I am, and he goes on to to sort of talk about some of this stuff and. Um, and how, yeah. If you, if if, if because if you're sim- if you're simply looking at it for its, um, its diehardness, you know, its 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 action sequences, then yeah, it could be seen as a simplistic play. But I think that that uh, that the speech at Agincourt, that's in Christmas Day speech, if you're looking for something else, this is what this is the culmination of what he's learned on on how to be, on how to be a king and how to be a leader. And rather than using negative imagery and things to spur people on he uses hope and he uses courage and he uses you know the idea that that um yeah, well, i mean it gets a li- it gets a little bit biblical in terms of we're the chosen ones those people are going to yeah. feel bad that they weren't here right he throws some other people under the bus yeah. but um but he does it in service of trying to provide the people around him with a positive view of themselves mm-hmm. and not a negative view of the others but a positive view of themselves and so i think that um I think that there is there is there is beauty and there is value to be to be found in in that that's his final speech to his followers sort of um
0: yeah well it's sort of interesting the idea that this could be considered you know a play that's that's not uh, well liked among scholars there are 38 plays, and this is at least in the top 15, right? <laughs> like we've got. There well, are so many things to pick on before you pick on Henry V, guys. Come on. I here. would think.
1: I would think, and and I and I and I also think, you know, like if we're if we're if we're just looking at mere per number of productions, this is definitely.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, of it, the it, histories, it sits in a really nice place in between. Like it's not an obscure play; everyone knows he wrote it. It does get, you know, every few years you see one. There's a famous movie. There's mul- actually multiple screen versions that you can check yeah. out. But then at the same time, it's not Hamlet. It's not Macbeth. Because at a certain point, those are just so saturated into the culture and so overdone. that Now, it's, there will never be a point when there's nothing left to mine. But, like, you're getting there <laughs> with some of those texts that have been mined so much. Sure. Right? So there's still something undiscovered in Henry V, even though it is produced more than, say, Coriolanus, underrated. Yeah. Um, Definitely. Yeah, so it's it's in a nice sweet spot, I would say.
1: I agree, I, I, I and I and I and I kind of like, um, you know, you, 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 you bring up Hamlet and you bring up Macer's and and um, you know, if you'd asked me at the beginning of my career, this would have been my Hamlet. I you know, really? I, I would have I would I would I would I would, well I would probably I'm past this point now, but I, I would have taken I would have taken Hal over any of the in in in, in Henry IV. I'd have taken Hal over any of the any of the other. Main roles and and you know that maybe speaks to my trying to be difficult or trying to be different. But I, I think that that um, you know giving humanity to classic tyrants or trying to find the humanity in like I you know I, I I'm one of those crazy people who would love to play Leontes.
0: Ugh, I hate that guy.
1: Of course, <laughs> everybody hates that guy, and that's why I that's why I'm interested in in, in exploring that. And so, um, you know, like because. At the core, I, at the core, as an idealist, my hope is that you, there's there's something to find. There's something, there's a place of deep hurt and deep woundedness that that those actions come from, and that's not excusing them, and that's not saying that that they were in any way um, the right course of action. But if we can get underneath it to that place, then I think. I think we give ourselves more to mine. Same thing as in, as in Macar's, and the same thing uh, uh, um, as a, as is in Hamlet. You know, like I.
0: I say it's applicable to everybody, but Angelo, frankly, yeah, I can't. I can't with Angelo. Yeah. Everybody else, you can find it if you look hard enough.
1: Sure, maybe <laughs> maybe even Iago. I, I, you know, like I know that he's got all sorts of reasons why. he but, yeah. but he takes it mm, too yeah. far.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, one day we'll do a, an overall discussion of just villains in the oh, Shakespeare God, canon. Yeah. I took a, a course in university called uh, hit, um, Evil on the Renaissance Stage, and we just did, like, all the Shakespeare villains and a few of the others, contemporaries. It was Fun! Amazing! It was great. That yeah. sounds
1: incredible. You know, one of one of the things we haven't talked about. I know that you're the you're the the interviewer, I suppose. Oh or, no, I, I, it's a discussion by all means. But I, I'm I'm interested in 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 also because um, I this is something that I didn't really I didn't do a whole lot of prep around this one. But um, what what do we think of 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 Shakespeare's use of the chorus in this play?
0: Oh. I, yeah, it's weird because he doesn't. Is this the only chorus he has? No, that's not right. Is it though? It's the one that it recurs.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's.
0: How many choruses does he have in the canon?
1: Not, 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 not many that are called chorus.
0: Oh, that's true. Right. There's like time. Gow, there's
1: Gower, right? You see right. Gower in, in. Is that Pericles? What's the What's Gower in? Oh,
0: no, I do not know my Pericles. I saw it once.
1: Yeah. Um, I think it's. Oh, I and there's. It, I guess
0: there's like. Prologue in uh, Romeo and Juliet and stuff like yeah,
1: that. Yeah, but he doesn't use a, a, a classic chorus. Yeah, um, the same way.
0: Well, I think okay. So my best, I don't know, uh, way to frame the chorus. I think is almost like because the chorus, the chorus, what they actually say is very positive right like it's like this is a story about a hero doing a good job and then what they actually show you is a little bit more complicated than that right Mm -hmm. I'm not remembering it super well but the I think that it's almost a little bit of a Finding excuses and finding his way around the issue of the fact that he's writing about his monarch's relatives and um, saying something about historical spin and the way that we, you know, history is written by the victors um, and the way the story is remembered versus the way it actually was. Maybe that would be my best, most generous guess.
1: Yeah, that's. I think that's a great. It's a great hypothesis and a great, great sort of deconstruction of it. Because um, partly I,
0: stolen from that Adrian Lester interview, but you know, it's fine. <laughs>
1: hey you know i I um you know I worked with the legendary Paul Thompson out in Blythe a couple of times and and he says, "Steal mercilessly from anything that is worth stealing from mm-hmm. that's how we make great art mm-hmm. is by, by by using other ide- by using other great ideas and trying to enhance them or put them through a different lens so i I, I support that wholeheartedly I think um I mean, I think that what is what is what is said in, in in a little bit in this Bloom thing, and then what what Northrop Fry picks on is the simplicity actually of the chorus mm-hmm. that he feels like if the chorus had more depth, the play would be better. That the chorus itself yeah. um, functions more as a and fast forwarding. Here's what happens next, and here's what, like it's mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. more of a it's more of a narration than a. Um, a deconstruction They, at least their feeling is that it isn't you know completely deconstructive of action and 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 it doesn't comment um, necessarily and that might be to do with you mm-hmm. know, w- w- the political
0: yeah so it could also just be a lazy narrative device right uh, like uh, like putting that's uh, kind of what they're, I think what they're on, on the screen that says two days later you know <laughs> yeah Interesting. Um, okay, so is there anything else you wanted to say about the play in general before I ask the same last question I ask of everyone?
1: I don't think so. I, would, um, I, I, you know, one of the things that he that he brings up uh, that Harold Bloom brings, brings up in his book is that um, you know when Shakespeare thought of the state and the monarchy. Um, one of the things that he would have remembered, certainly by the time this play was written, was the murder of Marlowe, his buddy. Mm. Um, the torture of Thomas Kidd, another one of his writing, writing folks, um, and you know. So I think that that uh, I, I I actually think that this play was for for in some ways does mm. does. Point out some some inconsistencies or some some gaps in what the monarchy is, and that that rather than just looking at leaders from a lens of were they a good leader, were they a hero? Did they did they do what they were supposed to do? And it also shines the light on well, but were they decent? Were they moral? Were the choices that they made congruous with the society that they wanted to build? And so, in that way, I think that this sort of action-based play has more layers than most of us give it credit for mm-hmm. and that would be the thing that i would also want to put forward that you know as we as we continue to study these plays hundreds and hundreds of years later and imbue them with the different contexts of the modern world in which they're looked at because that existed for the 1700s the 1800s the 1900s and 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 now um, that each time we peel back a layer, we actually m- maybe understand more how subversive Shakespeare was in some of these plays, and how the concepts that he was trying to introduce, or things that he was saying, he couldn't have said outrightly. But and maybe, maybe again, as a as a as a biased Shakespeare nerd, I'm just wanting to believe that this was him going, "Hey, you know, dudes are dudes are." are simplistic and and, and, and th- this idea of one type of bravery or courage is is kind of a sham and leaders yeah okay great they won a war does that mean that they, that they that they are you know to be held up as heroes he doesn't outrightly say it in the play but I think it's in there I think that there are there are arguments to be made that he he, he, he points to some things and, and he and he puts things in in, in a way that hopefully people are going to look at.
0: Okay, so my last question in every episode is we always start with a synopsis of the plot um, and then in a larger sense we always end with the question, what is this play about?
1: I think this play ooh, I think this play is about I think if it had a, a, a question that it tries to answer is kind of maybe the rant that I just went on which yeah. is can a, can 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 a leader lead from a lead with abs- with that absolute power and ha- and hold their morality and and personal decency at the same time is that possible
0: okay. All right
1: thanks Thank you
0: So that's our episode for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to search My Entertainment World in your podcast catcher to get the entire Shakespeare series as we work our way towards all 38 plays. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, all that jazz. Myentertainmentworld.ca is the website. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see you next time.